Well, um, we're going to be closing up uh, chapter eight today. And, uh, and actually, after today, we're going to be taking a break from the Gospel of John, which uh, is always just a bittersweet thing when we have to take a break from a series, uh, especially something like the Gospel of John. Uh, but we're going to be taking a break for really the next seven weeks because uh, leading up to Christmas, uh, every year we have an Advent series. So we'll do a shortened one, three weeks. Uh, oftentimes we do four weeks, but we're going to do a three weeks, uh, an Advent series. Uh, then followed up in the new year uh, with a, uh, a vision series that we always kind of kick off our year with. So, uh, so after that, uh, kind of mid-January, then we'll hop back into uh, John and we'll be getting into chapter 9. So uh, today will be the, the last time, at least together, we're going to be in the Gospel of John, uh, which is kind of sad because it's been so amazing. I was telling um, uh, my, my grandpa, actually, I, I hung out with him uh, two days ago. And uh, he was asking me questions about uh, our church and sermon prep and all this kind of stuff. And, uh, and uh, I was telling him how we've been going through John for so long. And with all the stuff going on uh, just in our, our country and our state and our county and everything, uh, it's been so refreshing and so rewarding and so relieving to uh, just have our time be so focused in on these amazing, great promises uh, that are in the Gospel of John. So, uh, so we'll be wrapping up uh, chapter 8 today. Um, this... This sermon comes at odd timing, and that's often what happens. Uh, when I am preparing sermons, I'm looking at uh, what's coming up. Uh, you know, when, I, when I'm going through a, a, a book like John, uh, I, don't, I don't pick the topics. I don't sit there and go, well, what should we talk about this week, you know, and what's going on? And, and oftentimes, you just get these really oddly timed, but kind of perfectly timed sermons. And as I was sitting with my grandpa, actually, uh, he asked me about sermon prep, and our, he said uh, he wanted to know if sermon prep every week is the same or if it's different or some more challenging. He said, well, it's, it's different every week. So this week, for instance, uh, the, the topic is on death, and it's Thanksgiving week, and it's going into the holidays, and it's not the topic that I would choose to speak about and to preach about uh, on a weekend like Thanksgiving. And a weekend where, uh, for a weekend and a season where this is already oftentimes very difficult for many people who have dealt with different aspects of, of death and um, lost loved ones. And, um, and I know that uh, even in general, death is just not an easy topic to, to talk about, to think about, to preach about. Uh, all of us, uh, in some form or fashion, we have at least an anxiety or a fear over death. Maybe it's not your own death necessarily, but... Uh, I think we all have fears over losing someone that we, we love, someone that is close with us. And it's very natural, very expected for us to have that kind of uh, fear or uh, anxiety over it. And I've uh, marveled often, frequently, over some of the, the strength that I see many of my friends, family members who have dealt with such uh, tragic losses in their lives. And uh, we've had some recently. Uh, many of you uh, in the last you know, month, the last six months, last year, I know that the holidays going into this time is often very, very challenging. Many dread the holidays because of just that cloud that looms over as you think about the people that you miss, the separation that has happened. And for me, I would say that death is probably the thing that I'm most fearful of, not my own death. Uh, but I do, I think if there's, if I was to list out my fears, I think Probably my top fear would be losing the people that I'm close with, my wife and my kids in particular. I think that's probably my, my greatest fear. I didn't sit down and think about it 
too deeply, but I know it's at the top. And uh, for me, and I think for all of us, there's something about that, especially when we think about other people, uh, we, we fear the separation. Now, we fear the, the, the loss and the emptiness, the inability to be close, to have that intimacy, to hear their voice, to see their face. And we fear that, that separation. But as a believer, a believer in the, the one who conquered death, I, I know that the, the promises of God put that fear uh, in a particular place, at least a, a better perspective, not a perfect perspective. I, I, I still battle that, that fear, whatever, but it helps me get it into a better perspective. I see it through a, a better lens. might not be proper all the time because I, I fail in that, but I see it through a better lens. And so today we're going to be looking at those promises, a lot of those promises, as Jesus continues his conversation with the Jews here, the people that are inquiring of him, and as he's declaring who he is and his claims and his promises, we're going to be looking at not just the promises in John 8, but many more promises uh, that uh, dig deeper into the promises that we see in John chapter 8. So allow me to pray and thank the Lord for what he has given us. And I'm going to thank the Lord for those that we have lost, that uh, I know that many of you are still grieving uh, over the holidays and going into the holidays. I want to pray for you as well. Pray for your uh, family members, your friends uh, that are uh, going through a time of, of grief. And even as we had our, our say-so, it's just it's such a, what, what Amber shared, just being thankful for joy. Uh, and as we just sang, joy comes in the morning. We, we thank the Lord for the many great memories and gifts he's given us through the people that we love but also lost. And we just, we want to thank the Lord that he does give us joy uh, eventually, sometimes in it, sometimes through it, sometimes after a season, but we want to thank the Lord uh, for his goodness and his gifts of grace towards us. Father in heaven, as we gather together here as your, your body, as your bride, your children, your family, your word says that when one hurts, we hurt with them. When one weeps, we weep with them. And we know that the holidays are always just mixed with good and bad and joys and sometimes even bitterness, bitter tears that we weep. And we, uh, as, as believers, as your sons, your daughters, uh, we know that the, the pain and the sorrow doesn't go away, but that you, you lead us through it. You guide us through it. You walk with us through it. You don't meet us on the other side of it but you're with us through the valley of the shadow of death. And I want to pray, God, that these promises we're going to see today in John 8 and other scriptures would, as we saw last week, they would find a home in our hearts, that they would help us to, uh, to, to grieve with a, a, a proper, a better perspective, that we'd feel the, the pain and the sorrow of the, the separation we have, but also look to you for hope. Look to you as the one who restores our joy in your time, in your way. We thank you for your faithfulness towards us, your love towards us, your patience towards us. We thank you that you are a God who is not distant, but you yourself, you stepped down to this earth and you, you, you felt all these things. You saw people, you, you wept when Lazarus died. And you had the perfect perspective. 
You knew what was going to happen, but yet there was still the, the pain of seeing this enemy called death, what death does to us. So we thank you that you are a high priest that we can relate with, who sympathizes with us, that you're near to the brokenhearted. We thank you for that. In Jesus' name, amen. So John chapter 8, we're going to be in verse 48 and going to the end of the chapter here. It says here, the Jews answered him, are we not right in saying that you're a Samaritan and you have a demon? So now they're really slandering him, really going after him. And Jesus answered, I don't have a demon, but I honor my father and you dishonor me. Yet I don't seek my own glory. There is one who seeks it, and he's the judge. Truly, truly, I say to you, if anyone keeps my word, he will never see death. The Jews said to him, now we know you have a demon. Abraham died, as did the prophets. Yet you say, if anyone keeps my word, he'll never taste death. Are you greater than our father Abraham who died? Even Abraham died. You think you're better than him? The prophets died too. You think you're better than them? Who do you make yourself out to be? Who do you think you are? It's a good question. Who do you think you are? And Jesus answered, if I glorify myself, my glory is nothing. It's my father who glorifies me, of whom you say he is our God. You say he's your God, but yet you deny him. You don't know him, but I know him. If I were to say that I don't know him, I'd be a liar just like you. But I do know him, and I keep his word. Your father Abraham rejoiced that he would see my day. He saw it, and he was glad. The Jews said to him, you're not even 50 years old, and you say you've seen Abraham? You're a crazy man. And Jesus said to them, truly I, tr truly I say to you, before Abraham was, I am. And they, that is, this was not lost on them. He didn't say, before Abraham was, I was. This is the phrase, before Abraham was, I am who I am. They knew exactly what he was saying. And so what did they do? In verse 59, they picked up stones to throw at him. But Jesus hid himself and went out of the temple. So the Jews here, as we saw, they're accusing Jesus now of being a Samaritan and being possessed by a demon but rather he's pushing back and saying, no, I've come to honor my father and anyone who keeps uh, his word, anyone who keeps my word would never see death. And by the way, I existed before Abraham did. And so he's really just kind of going for the jugular here. This infuriates them and causes them to believe that they've really caught him now because now they're really catching him in some blasphemy and some kind of crazy talk. Ah, you, you must have a demon. You're not even 50 years old. How can you say you've seen Abraham? Abraham's been dead for 2,000 years. You're not even an old man. But Jesus doesn't back down, and he insists. Let's look at these words again in verse 51. Truly, truly, I say to you, if anyone keeps my word, he will never see death. And this, even to us, sounds crazy, because we know the phrases. We know the stats. You know, there's a one-to-one -one ratio of people on this planet who will see death, right? We know the stats, 100% of everyone who's born dies eventually. We, we, know, we know that's the easiest stat ever. 
we know some of the, the sayings, right? There's nothing as certain as death and taxes, right? We, we know that death is, is real. It, it's going to happen. It's an unavoidable truth that all of us, in fact, will actually die physically. At some point, we're going to cease from breathing. Someday in our future, our heart's going to stop. Even the Word of God says, in Adam, all will die. So even God's Word tells us this. So what does Jesus mean then by saying this? It seems like Jesus is maybe contradicting even the Word. But for those who have been born again, and we saw this a lot last week, right, with the leopard who was able to change his spots if he's born again. The same scripture says the Ethiopian who's able to change his skin only if he's born again. The sinner who's able to have eternal life only if he's born again. For those who have been born again, death is like walking through a door. That's all it is for us. It's just walking through a door into another room. That's, that's all it is. Death is just the introduction to the nearer presence of God. Right, you think you know God now, and you do, but imagine just walking through this door here, walking through that door there, and all of a sudden you're nearer to the presence of God. You walk through this door or that door, and you're right there before the Lord God Almighty. That's what death is for the believer. It's just walking through a door. You're being in the presence of the immediate presence of God in all of his glory. That, that's what death is for the believer. For a believer, death is not a separation, but it's actually a homecoming for us. It's us going home. It's us seeing our Father face to face. Ecclesiastes chapter 7, verse 1, if you remember this from a couple years ago, a good name, Solomon says, a good name, so a good reputation, is better than precious ointment. It's more, it's better, having a good reputation is better than even the, the finest things you could own. But he also says, and the day of death is better than the day of birth. That one seems odd. The day of death is better than the day of birth. Uh, my birthday is April 4th. And uh, I, I'm historically, at least for quite a few years, I've not been a big birthday guy. Uh, it's just not the biggest deal to me. I don't, I'm not really into the fuss. For, for me, for other people, uh, but not for me. I just, I don't really get into the fuss of it. But even though my birthday is in April, um, it's actually every August that I get really introspective. I get, I, I really go down memory lane. I know I'm sentimental already, but I get very sentimental in August. Uh, I get lost in my thoughts. I, I, I spend I really, I, I mean, to be totally honest, for like a couple days straight, I can't really focus on much because it was on August 21st. So that that day of the 20th, 21st, the 22nd, those two, three days, I just, I can't, I can't get a whole lot done because I am lost in gratitude and joy and celebration and amazement and thankfulness. And I don't make a fuss at all. I don't like the fuss over my birthday on April 4th, but I make a big fuss out of August 21st. On, on Facebook, for instance, my birthday, April 4th, is hidden on Facebook. I don't want anyone to know. But when August 21st comes around, I post the same picture every year of this, a picture of me just a week before I was born again, next to a picture of me that day. I just, I type out a bunch of thoughts. I make the fuss myself, but not about April 4th, but about August 21st. 
I thought about that a bit more this year. I thought, why do I, why do I make such a big deal out of this? And yet I totally just kind of hide my birthday. And as I thought about that more deeply this last year, I thought about this fact that April 4th was the day that I was born into slavery. I was born into the slavery of sin and darkness. I was brought into a dark world. I was born that day in the family line of Adam. And in Adam, all will die. But August 21st is the day I was born, not as a slave to sin, but as a son of God Almighty. I was brought into the light from that place of darkness, and I was freed from slavery. That was my liberation day. That was my day of freedom. But also, as even I look at this the scripture in Ecclesiastes 7, August 21st isn't just the day of my, my spiritual birth, but as Ecclesiastes says, the day of death is better than the day of birth. August 21st is also the day of my death. That's my death day. The old Joby that day was crucified. The old Joby that day died. That was the day of my death. He was born on April 4th and he died on August 21st. The new Joby was born on August 21st and that Joby will never see death. He'll never taste death. He's going to walk through a door into the immediate presence of God Almighty. And so August or April 4th is the day that we might celebrate Joby, but August 21st is the day that I celebrate God and Christ in Joby. And for me, that's, that's my birthday now. And so if we're a believer, as Ecclesiastes says, the day of our physical death is better than the day of our physical birth because it's the day that we go into the nearer presence of God. And I don't mean at all to minimize the, the reality of physical death, the pain and separation we sense and feel. As, I'm, as I said, even Jesus wept when Lazarus died. It's not wrong. It's not sin. It's not a sign of uh, some kind of moral weakness to, to be sad over death. Like we don't have faith. We don't have a right perspective. Jesus himself even wept when his friend died. So I don't mean to minimize that at all, but rather to give us perspective that for us as believers, it is a homecoming. In 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 1, it says, we know that if the tent that is our earthly home, is destroyed. So this body is a tent. This isn't the permanent state of our body because of sin. This, this tent has sin in it. It's, it's, it's faulty. And as long as we're at home in this tent, uh, we have problems. I mean, kids, let me ask you something real quick. Would you rather live and sleep and eat and everything under one of these tents for the next 10 or 15 years? Or would you rather live in a house? A house, right? So this life, this body right now, this temple of, of, of sin, this is a tent. This tent has holes in it. It sags a bit. There's termites. There's moth that destroys. There's rust. This tent that we live in right now, this isn't permanent the way it is. But this tent is going to be renewed. It's going to be reconstructed. It's going to have a full renovation and built up. So he says, if this tent that is our earthly home is destroyed, 
We have a building from God. We have a, a better building from God, a house not made with hands, and it's eternal in the heavens. For in this tent, we groan. We're longing to put on the heavenly dwelling. We can't wait for this tent to be renovated into something better. Right now, we're wearied and we're burdened, looking forward to putting off the cares and the pains and the separation of this world. In verse 4, for while we're still in this tent, though we groan, we're being burdened, we're saddened, and we don't want to be unclothed. We're not trying to just get out of this, but we want to be further clothed. We want to walk through that door and be in the presence of God Almighty so that what is mortal may be swallowed up by life. He who has prepared us for this very thing is God who has given us his spirit as a guarantee. His spirit is the guarantee. Verse six, so we're always of good courage because we know that while we're at home in this body, in this tent, we're away from the Lord. We're in the next room away from that immediate presence of God. But in the meantime, we walk by faith and not by sight. Yes, we're of good courage. We would rather be away from the body, away from this tent and at home with the Lord. But whether we're home or away, whether we're in this body or we're in the next room, the presence of God, we're gonna make it our aim to please him, to please God. While we're here in this life, we're not in our true home. It's just a tent. That's all it is. Temporary. We deal with the pains and burdens of this dark world, and we can't quite see the other side. We can't see through the door and see what's on that other side. And so it's a challenge for us. And because it's a challenge, then we have these fears and anxieties over things that are very real like death. But we walk by faith and not by sight. Faith in God's word, faith in his promises, we look with faith to the light of the world who promises to us that if we abide in his word, we will never see death. We have faith in knowing that we will not see death if we are his. Psalm 116 verse 15 says, precious in the sight of the Lord is the death of his saints. There's a precious thing when his saints, his sons and daughters go from this life to the next because they're walking through the door. I was reading about a pastor uh, named um, Donald Barnhouse. He had uh, tragically left, uh, lost his wife uh, in a car accident. This is quite a few years ago now. And he was left to raise his daughters. And uh, he was trying to explain to them what had happened. They were a little younger, and they're actually driving to the, the funeral. And um, as he was just driving, holding back tears, praying, um, he came up to a stoplight and then a, a semi-truck kind of came up behind him and stopped at the stoplight behind him. And as the semi-truck came up to the back of the car, it, the sun was behind him and it cast this huge shadow over the car and just darkened the whole car. And so in this moment, he just looked back and he said to his girls, he said, girls, would it be better to be hit by the shadow of that truck or hit by the truck itself? And these girls were little, they're like, oh, daddy, you're so silly. Of course it's better to be hit by the shadow. And then he said to them, girls, that's what's happened to mommy. She didn't get, she, she just got hit by a shadow. But she just walked from this life into the next. It was just a transition from this room into the next room. Death seems like a truck hits us. It feels like that when we lose someone. But for those of us who've been born again, we're only being hit by the shadow. It's nothing. We don't even see death. We don't even taste death. It's just a shadow. That's all it is. 
In 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 54, it says, when the perishable, that's us, we're perishable. These tents are perishable. Right? We, we, don't, we don't last forever as we are. When the perishable puts on the imperishable, when you have your renovation, when you walk from this life into the next room, your body's renewed, this tent turns into this amazing building, it goes through its renovation. When the perishable puts on the imperishable and the mortal, which is us, we're mortal. When we put on immortality, then shall come to pass. At that point now, not right now, right now we're still in this life, but then it will come to pass the saying that is written, death is swallowed up in victory. Oh, death, where is your sting? It's just a shadow. Where, where, where's the truck? There is no truck. It's just a shadow. Death, where is your sting? The sting of death is sin and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Death is just walking through a door, like changing your clothes, putting on eternal clothing, like getting hit by a shadow. That's all it is. This is why Jesus says back in verse 51, truly, I, truly, I say to you, if anyone keeps my word, he will never even see death. It's so instantaneous. You won't even see it. You walk through a room, you go, where am I? I've never been here before. This isn't my bedroom. This isn't wherever you're off to. You're in a place you've never seen before. You, don't, you look back, you go, how did I even get here? It's just, it's so instantaneous. You know, anytime we're nervous about something, so maybe if it's something like this or, or anything else, whenever you're nervous about something, anxious about something, the, one of the best things we can do is go talk to someone who is an expert in it, someone who knows a lot about it, especially if it's something that's kind of scary. Say if it's something like a medical condition, uh, you want to talk to a doctor. You want to get advice, get counsel from them. But not only do you want to talk to someone who's kind of an expert, it's also really helpful to talk to someone who's, who's been through it. So you might find a friend or a family member who's maybe gone through that particular cancer treatment or whatever it might be. So you want to talk to the professionals who understand it in a particular way. And you also want to talk to people who've gone through it to hear from a different perspective. Now, how much better would it be if you actually had a doctor who's also gone through that very thing? That's kind of the best of both worlds. The doctor's able to walk you through stuff, but then he actually tells you how it feels, what you're going to think, what you're, what you're uh, going to worry about. He's going to be able to intimately describe to you how the, the side effects come about, some of the things that happen. He's not just speaking to you cerebrally or medically, but he's going to speak to you uh, really from his own experience. That's, that's like this perfect scenario. It's a very valuable thing to be able to have someone who doesn't just have the information, but also has the intimate knowledge of walking through this. In Hebrews chapter two, verse nine, it says, we see him, speaking of Jesus, we see him who for a little while on this earth, 33 years, a little while, he was made lower than the angels, turned into, became a human. This is Jesus crowned with glory and honor because of the suffering of death. And here's why he did this, why he became Lord of the angels, so that by the grace of God, he might taste death for everyone. He's not just the professional with the intimate knowledge, with, the, with the, uh, the technical knowledge, but he also himself has tasted death for us. He's gone through it for us. We don't go to God's word just to be a manual to teach us about death, but we have Jesus Christ himself who tasted death for us. He took off his heavenly garments 
that building made by God and put on this earthly tent. He did the opposite of what we get to do. He put on human emotion. He put on and received then mockery and insult and hatred. He had experienced emotional, mental, and physical pain, even the loss of friends and loved ones as he put on his earthly tent. And this high priest, he suffered death so that by the grace of God, he would taste death so that we would not have to. So that he could make this promise that if you abide in me, you won't actually see death. Jesus saw death. He tasted death, death on the cross, so that we would not have to. So that we would only feel the shadow. And that's it. So that we could just walk through the room we were just hit by the shadow and Jesus himself was the one who was hit by the truck. He did this for us. But this truck, this enemy of death, this death could not hold him. It couldn't keep him. So to continue in Hebrews, verse 14, since therefore the children, speaking of those who Christ came to save, those who were born again, the children share in flesh and blood. He himself... Likewise, partook of the same thing. So he came down and experienced this, that through death, he might destroy the one who has the power of death, that is the devil, and deliver all those who through fear of death were subject to lifelong slavery. That slavery. For surely it's not angels that he helps. He didn't come to save angels, church. He came to save you. It's not the angels he helps, but he helps the offspring of Abraham. Therefore, he had to be made like his brothers in every respect, putting on this tent, so that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in the service of God to make propitiation for the sins of the people. For because he himself has suffered when tempted, he's able to help those who are being tempted. Then going to Hebrews 4, verse 15, we don't have a high priest who's unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are yet without sin. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. We have a high priest who can sympathize with us. He is a patient doctor patient. See what I did there. He is a patient doctor patient. He's a doctor and he was a patient and he's a patient doctor patient. He sympathizes with us. We can escape the fear and slavery of death because Jesus came and put on the human tent and not only tasted, but then chewed up and spit out death for us. He didn't just taste it. He chewed it up and spit it out, cast it into the lake of fire forevermore. He came to set the captives free, the captives that were slaves to sin and death. In Revelation chapter 1, verse 17, it says, When I saw him, this is John speaking, our same John from the Gospel of John. When I saw him, I fell at his feet as though I was dead, but he laid his right hand on me and he said, Fear not. I'm the first and I'm the last. I'm the living one. I died. And behold, I'm alive forevermore. And I have the keys of death and Hades, death and hell. I have the keys. And because he's done this, because death could not hold him, 
We have the hope that if our old self has died with him, our new self will raise with him. I want to read this portion of Romans 6 because we read some of this last week in conjunction with the topic of being slaves to sin. And here in John 8, Jesus promised if we keep his word, we won't see death. Because just as he died and was raised, then also we too shall die and be raised. So Romans chapter 6, verse 5. If we've been un united with him in a death like his, right, we've taken off our, our black marked shirt and put it on the cross and received his white shirt. Our old self has died when we were born again. We shall certainly also then be united with him in a resurrection like his. If we've died with him, our old self, then we're going to raise like him. We know that our old self was crucified with him in order that this body of sin, this, this temporary tent, might be brought to nothing so that we would no longer be enslaved to sin. One who has died has been set free from sin. Now, if we've died with Christ, we believe that we will also then live with him. We know that Christ, being raised from the dead, will never die again. He's never going to taste death ever again. Death no longer has dominion over him. For the death he died, he died to sin once for all. But the life he lives, he lives to God. So you also must consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. Now, how is this even so? How is this possible? And these Jews, going back into John chapter 8, they're wondering the same thing. They said in verse 53, are you greater than our father Abraham? How can you make these claims? And the prophets, they died too. Who do you make yourself out to be? How do you, how do you say this? In verse 57, you're not even 50 years old. You've seen Abraham? But Jesus said to them, truly, truly, I say to you, before Abraham was, I am. Jesus makes it plain once again, before Abraham was, not I was, but I am who I am. I am God. I am God. And there's no mistake. They don't mishear him. They know what he's saying. It's so blasphemous, they pick up stones to throw at him. But he escapes because it wasn't yet his time. Because Jesus is no mere man, because he is indeed God who has come down, but the power over death, who holds the keys of death and Hades, and who's conquered death, because he is the great I am, we have an immovable and unshakable hope. In 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, Paul says, we don't want you to be uninformed, brothers. I want you to be clear on this. When you think about those who have fallen asleep, those who have died, that you may not grieve as others do who have no hope. We can grieve, but we don't grieve as those who don't have hope. For since we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so, through Jesus, God will bring with him those who have fallen asleep. Church, we're going to be reunited with those that we've lost, who've been born again, who are sons and daughters of God. We're going to be reunited. We're going to walk through that door. We're going to see them. This is what Jesus promised in John 8. But the biggest word, the biggest word in this statement here, when he says, if anyone keeps my word, he'll never see death. The biggest word in that statement is actually the smallest word, it's the word if. If anyone keeps my word, he'll never see death. 
The word if is there in Romans as well that I read. If we have died with Christ. If you've been crucified with Christ. If we are united in his death. And here also, if anyone keeps my word, he'll never see death. This promise to not see death is, is not universal. It's not a promise given to everyone who has walked the earth, but rather, if you keep his word, you will never see death. So this is contingent on whether you truly possess what you profess. If you possess what you profess, then this promise is for you. If we truly profess or possess the faith and trust in that capital B belief in him, then this promise is for us. And this, probably the next most important word here, though, is anyone. This is the good news here. If anyone keeps my word, he'll never see death. So though the promise itself is not universal to all, the invitation is universal to all. Anyone who would come to him and believe in their heart and confess with their lips that he is God will be saved. So though this if is so important, the next word is also important. Anyone, doesn't matter if they're hyper-religious, self-righteous, even they can be saved. People who have done away with their life and gone this way totally against God, against all morals, even they can be saved. Anyone, if anyone would come to him and believe in him, they will not see death. Romans chapter 10, verse 9. If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart one believes and is justified, and with the mouth one confesses and is saved. For the scripture says, everyone who believes in him will not be put to shame. There is no distinction between Jew and Greek, so self-righteous or totally unrighteous. There's no difference. For the same Lord is Lord of all, bestowing his riches on all who call on him. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. So though the promise is not universal to all, the invitation is universal to all. So in John chapter 11, Jesus says, I'm the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he will die, yet he shall live. Everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. And he asked the question, and I'd ask you the question, do you believe this? Do you believe this? If his word is in us, if we abide in his word, we will not even taste death. And the spirit, if you remember from earlier, the spirit is given to us as the guarantee. He's the guarantee. Nothing can separate us. When we're born again, we're adopted, there's nothing that can separate us. You notice there's a quote from R.C. Sprawl here. Because of Christ, death is not final. It is a passage from one world to the next. And so whatever time we are given in this tent, for our own selves and for those that God has given to us that have been in our life and now maybe are gone, we aim to walk by faith and not by sight. We aim to trust in his word and his ways, to abide in his word. We don't live as those with no hope, but with a hope instead that does not disappoint. So I want to I pray now and I want to pray for all of us. I want to pray for your family and friends again, even as we turn the corner into December, and as the, the, the grief 
that many of us feel. Again, we can grieve, but we don't grieve like those who don't have hope. I want to pray that the Lord would uh, firstly just do this work in our hearts that we would, that we would be, first believe in our hearts and confess that Jesus is Lord, that we would pray that he would help us to abide in his word so that we would not see death. And you give us comfort and encouragement as we uh, experience the pains and the sorrows and losses of those that we've lost around us. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we know that in ourselves and in this, this tent, sin has dwelt. Sin has uh, wreaked havoc on this tent. There's rust and decay, holes. And I look forward to the day that uh, I will be further clothed in your glory, that you'll renovate this temple, that you'll renew me. And I'm grateful, Lord, that um, grateful that the day of death for a believer is better than the day of birth. I'm grateful that I don't have to fear the future. Even as we sang earlier, you know that all things work together for those who love you. And Lord, I love you. Help me and help us to put our trust and our faith, our hope solely and only in your promises and your word and the cross of Christ. Make it real in our hearts that if we have died with you, we will also be raised with you. Let that be our encouragement and our hope, the rock on which we stand. And God, with these promises, Lord, by your Spirit. Find a home in our hearts. Go to work in us. Dwell in us. Change us. We thank you for your great faithfulness. We thank you that you're a patient doctor patient who sympathizes with us, who walks with us through the shadow of the valley of death. Just the shadow. We don't walk into and through death. We just walk through the shadow of the valley of death. And we don't fear evil because you are by our side. You're with us, walking with us through that valley. We thank you, Lord. We love you. We, we're grateful. We're amazed at your grace towards us. In the mighty name of the Son of God who came and conquered death on our behalf, the Son who holds the keys of death and Hades. It's in his name, the name of Jesus, we pray and thank you for all these things. Amen.